0: Happy Mother's Day. How many mothers are in here? Would you just stand? Would all the mothers just stand this morning? And could I just take a moment to pray over you today? And we just want to thank you for all you mean to us and to the church and to your families. And so would you pray with me? God, we, uh, Lord, we see in Scripture how much you honor women and mothers. And so, Lord, we just want to pause for a moment before we learn about a mother in Scripture that, that we just pray over these, these ladies in the room. We're thankful for them. Lord, I just pray today that they would feel honored, they would feel blessed, and that they would feel loved. And, and we thank you for this opportunity to honor them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can we give them a hand? Thank you guys. maybe seated. I... Uh, I made sure my, my mother normally is here, but she's not here, she's uh, in Colorado, and so I made sure that I text her this morning, and uh, she is uh, with, with my brother, and uh, if you don't know I have a twin brother, he's a pastor in Colorado, and so she's getting to hear today her third favorite preacher, all right, <laughs> and so he, he may have a different story, I don't know, but um, I'm, I'm thankful for a godly mother. I'm also thankful for a godly mother-in-law, Janet, who's right here, and I'm thankful for a godly wife who was a godly mother to my two kids, and so I, I, I'm blessed. And uh, I wanted to, before we start, really get into the message to say, I acknowledge this morning that that I am blessed and maybe unique. Um, I Again, I have a A godly mother, a godly mother-in-law, a godly wife, and and that's not the case for everyone. And I acknowledge today that there may be some hurt in the room. Uh, For some ladies that want desperately to be a mother, and and God has not answered that prayer, and I understand that maybe today is a difficult day. For some, they maybe don't uh, have a relationship with your mother right now. For some of you mothers, maybe your relationship with your kids is not where you wished it was. And and for some in the room, uh, this is your first Mother's Day without your mother. And and so I want to acknowledge that. I I pray that our goal today is just to honor all of you and to let you know that God loves you. And God is bigger than our circumstances. And that's what we're going to see in the story today. I think this story... In 1 Samuel chapter 1, as we continue this series, Dangerous Prayer, I I, I don't want the story to be uh, about a mother who's desperate for a child and God answers that prayer to make you feel, I wish he would answer my prayer. I, that's not the goal of the message. I think, it, I think the message of this scripture is much deeper than that. And so as we continue this series, Dangerous Prayers, we see this prayer of Hannah. And I think probably as if I were as I've done research and looked uh, nothing formal, but I think this passage of scripture is taught a lot of times on, on Mother's Day because it's just this prayer of, of a mother. But what I want us to acknowledge today is that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of unanswered or answered prayer that That what we say every single Sunday morning is still true. God is good. And all the time. And God is bigger than our circumstances. And so if you take nothing away from today, realize that, that God is bigger than our circumstances. And in this story, as we think about dangerous Prayers. I, I pray that as we look at this story, that maybe even as we go through this series, that you as an individual, you maybe as a, a church member, or maybe you're visiting from another church today, that you would, you would internalize and focus on the reality that maybe it's possible that you don't spend enough time in prayer. We've made the statement pretty much every week in this series that uh, I'll ask you the question, Do you believe there's power in prayer? Yes or no? And then I would say, the reality is, is that how much power you believe there is in prayer is reflected in how much time you spend in prayer. And so my challenge for us is that we would spend more time in prayer. And even in the last year or so, we have really... Uh, shifted a lot of our focus into wanting to provide opportunities for you to pray. And Pastor Nathan, on Wednesday nights in the chapel at 6.30, he has kind of re-shifted our focus on the Wednesday night Bible study to more of a Wednesday night prayer time. And uh, I would encourage you, just to, if, if you haven't tried it, come on at 6.30 in the chapel. And, and, and Nathan does a great job giving a short devotion, but then leading us in some, some directed and some guided prayer. On Saturday morning, from seven to 9 a.m, I know Saturday morning, 7 a.m. is early, right? Right? So I'll be honest, um, when my alarm goes off on Saturday morning at 5:45, I could I kind of want to throw my phone away. Can you guys identify with that? But, you know, when I walk out of the building after I've spent time in prayer, I'm glad I got up. Come one Saturday a month, make a commitment. Come one Saturday a month and spend some time in prayer from 7 to 9 here in the sanctuary. Um, We also have a a new ministry, a prayer team that meets right now. There's some people in a room right behind the stage that are praying for God to move in this service. They're praying for you. They're praying for me. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of the prayer team... You can scan that QR code, it'll take you to the website, right at the top it says connect, hit that connect, it's going to have a drop down menu, and at the very last part it says serve. You can sign up to serve. You can sign up to serve in a lot of ministries, but the prayer team is there. And so I I pray that we would focus on prayer, because part of the reason, if I'm going to be really transparent with you today, part of the reason that we've incorporated some of these intentional times of prayer is because I'm, I'm not, I, I've never claimed that prayer is like my spiritual gifting. My personality is just a, like Martha. I'm just going to go in and do and get something done. And sometimes Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, be like Mary and just sit at my feet and pray. And so it, maybe it's not for you, it's more for me. But let's jump into this story, all right? So 1 Samuel chapter number one. I want to give you just three lessons this morning as we walk through this text. Three lessons, really, from Hannah. So we're going to start by reading the first seven verses. Now, there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph. And Ephraimite, Eraf- 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 I can't even say it. I really started to ask Stephan to, to read this in our worship time just to... Get away from me having to read it. All right. And here's where the story takes a turn. And he had two wives. The name one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, Elkanah, went up from the city every year, yearly, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, you might underline those names. We We're going to get back to those in a minute. The priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year. And that means more than once. We've already read that Paniah had sons and daughters. So just based on that time table, this is not like a couple years. This is an extended period of time that, that her rival would make her miserable year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord, she, that she provoked her. And therefore, what is the description here of Hannah? She wept And she did not eat. And we think about in the context of the culture, not so much different than us, when we get together like a Baptist church, right? The potluck, the food, the fellowship, it's all like an an experience. And the fact is that this experience was also uh, to to be a sign of gratitude to God for his provision and his protection. And, And all this was a part of a worship experience of eating and fellowshipping and what does it say that Hannah is doing that she chooses not to eat because she was well, she was sad to put it like on the lowest terms and here's the first thing I want you to learn this morning and it's this sin always leads to pain and problems sin always le- leads to pain and problems and so we we see here in this text something that is descriptive in Scripture, not prescriptive in Scripture. Everywhere in Scripture we will see when what was termed here, this term polygamy, multiple wives, that it always leads to pain and problems. And, and although this was customary and culturally correct, what we have to understand is just because something is culturally correct doesn't mean it's spiritually accurate. Would you agree that? So what does the scripture actually say? Again, this is not telling us how to live. It's telling us the problems that come when we live like we want to live. We just ended, like, the period we're entering, What the phrase you hear over and over and over again is people would say, the scriptures would say, and people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what sin leads to. We do the things that are right in our own eyes. So what does scripture say about this relationship, about marriage. Well, let's go to the beginning in Genesis chapter number two. What did, what did the Lord say when he create, created Adam and Eve? He said in verse 24 of Genesis chapter number two, after he's created Eve from Adam, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see a lot of culturally things that don't quite fit here anymore, do they? So he made Adam and Eve. He made man and woman, and he said that it's man and a woman till death do them part. That was God's plan. And just so we're really clear, Jesus kind of doubles down on this in Mark chapter number 10. In Mark chapter number 10, they ask him, Well, remember, Moses said we could get a divorce. And Jesus said, That's because you're sinners. I mean, that's that's my paraphrase, right? That's because of your sinners. But look what he says in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, here's some more things that may go countercultural. God made them, and he speaks to gender here, male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Or as I think the King James said, let no man put asunder. That's what preachers used to always say when they did a a marriage ceremony, right? It wasn't just something they thought of, it's what the Scripture teaches us. So again, I don't want to camp out on this, but I want us to clearly see in Scripture that that sin is always going to lead to pain and problems. Let's keep reading. Then Elkanah said, verse 8, then Elkanah her husband said to her, Hannah why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than, better to you than ten sons? All right, men, this is really stupid, okay? <laughs> like, I, you, you've heard the statement, you get an A for effort. Maybe this applies here, I don't know. I mean, we're going to give him an assumption because, okay, so this is actually the second time he's kind of said the wrong thing. Or done the wrong thing. Look at in verse 5 we read it. You kind of get the picture. Like year by year they go uh, to the tabernacle to worship. And again a part of the worship is going to be a fellowship of food. And, and it says that he you know, would give a portion to his wife, Paniah. Then he would give a portion to his sons and his daughters from Paniah. And then what does it say in verse 5 he gives to Hannah? Yeah, a double portion. What is Hannah not doing right now? She's not eating. It's almost like you're just, okay, Elkanah, you're just making a bad thing worse. And women, us men are pretty good at that, aren't we? That was your chance. We men are pretty good at trying to fix things and making it worse. Can you say amen to that? All right. So, guys, don't try to fix it. Just listen, okay? It's, it's the problem as old as time, Right? Trying to fix it. And, and he says, read this again in the context. Think about what he's saying to her. She's in bitterness of soul because she can't have a child. He's pointed this out to everyone. Why are you why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? And here's where it really takes a bad turn. Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, look how good I am. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? I'm Elkanah. Like, look at me, you know. What if he would have said, I've been a little more sympathetic, and said, Hannah, you are better to me than ten sons. Ladies, would that have been a better way to phrase that? So I I mean... I think he's trying. I really do. I just think he's a normal guy. We, we mess up, okay? But again, sin always leads to pain and problems, doesn't it? Okay? All right, let's keep reading because I don't like that part of it. Verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord And she was, so let's just kind of think through the emotion she's dealing with. We cannot completely understand culturally the anguish that she is going through, not to be able to give her husband an heir. In fact, most studies would say, most theologians would say the reason that he has a second wife is this is the exact reason that he has a second wife. It's the same thing Abraham and Sarah did. They messed up also. And so, you know, he can't have a child, It desperately wants a child, so... He has another, another wife. And, and here's the emotion. She was in bitterness of soul. She prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And she basically says that if you give me a son, I'm, I'm committing him to be a Nazarite. I'm committing the Nazarite vow to him for a lifetime. We see in the New Testament that Paul had a period of time where he took the Nazarite vow. It was just a season of time, but she's saying for life. And I think it goes past the fact that Hannah's not just saying, God, I want to I get my rival back. If you'll just give me a child, and and maybe this has been a process of time that over the last 10 or 15 years, as Espanai has child after child, and year after year says, makes Hannah feel less than. Hannah finally comes to the realization that I want to surrender my life, and if God were to bless me with a child, I want to surrender my child for God's plan and his purpose. That it's bigger than just getting back at Paniah. There's something more deep in this prayer than just give me a child so I can be the favored one. It goes much deeper than that. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah, Hannah spoke in her heart and her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was, what did Eli think she was? Drunk. So her her husband is kind of a moron, and her pastor also seems to be a moron, right? And maybe you guys identify with that. I don't know. It's possible. I'm sure my wife does. So here's a good side note, maybe. Maybe we're not to look to other men or women to complete us. Maybe we should be looking to... God, our creator, okay? Just a side note, all right. Verse 14, so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Thanks. Thank you, priest, I love you too. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have, what a great picture of what she does to the Lord. I poured out my soul. And it's almost as she knows First Peter is going to say at one point years later, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And, and so we think about this, the bitterness of soul. She wept in anguish. She was sorrowful of spirit. And what is her response to her anguish and her sorrow and her bitterness of soul? Is As the old song says, she takes it to the Lord in prayer. Then she says in verse 16, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sights. So the woman went her way in aid, and her face was no longer sad. And the first part of verse 19 says, then they arose early in the morning to worship before the Lord And I think there's this word in verse 17 that jumps off the page. It says, Eli answered and said, go in, in peace. And remember what we see here. I, now, I don't think, and, and I've, I've heard different um, perspectives on verse 17 here. Some would say, and, and maybe even at one time I may have said this, that it seems like that Eli is telling her, your prayers are going to be answered. But it's never really that clear in here, is it? I think we could maybe infer that, but I don't think that's the point of the story. I don't think I mean Eli, again, what we see about Eli is one is he thought she was drunk, two was he didn't hear her say anything. All he did was see her move her, her lips move. Could God have said, hey, tell this lady she's going to have a child? Yes, he could have, but it's not really that clear that's what he said. It's almost not like this prophetic prophecy that he's declared on her. It seems from my perspective and and, and really some of the reading I've done, it seems like it's more just a general blessing, you know, that all of us pastors say, well, God bless you. I hope God answers your prayer. But there seems to be a drastic shift in her emotional state. What what were the words we read that she was weeping? She didn't eat. She was grieved. She was bitterness of soul. She wept in anguish. Oh Lord, you see my affliction. I'm sorrowful in spirit. I've poured out my soul. And as she gets up from prayer and pouring out her grief to God, what happens? She gets up. She went and ate. She was no longer sad, and the next morning, what did she do? She worshiped. Do you see a different perspective of Hannah? Here's lesson number two. Prayer is the pathway to peace. I wish I could explain it. I know what Paul said in Philippians, worry about nothing pray about everything and then the god of peace will guard you and comfort your heart i I can't explain it i've experienced it i've experienced in other people i think that's what we see in scripture here although she has tons of reason to be upset she's bitter, she's in anguish she cries out to god she pours out her heart to god because the man in her life ain't no help The preacher in her life ain't no help. I'm going to take it to God. And what is the response? What is the result of her pouring her heart out to God? Peace of God that passes all understanding. We made this statement last week. Peace is not found in prosperity, provision, and protection. It is found in the presence of the Prince of Peace. And and so maybe this is a reason as a church, as individuals, as followers of Jesus, we should focus more attention on prayer. Because what does prayer lead us to? It leads us into the presence of God, and the presence of God brings peace. And let's let's be honest, this world is not completely filled with peace, is it? Peace. Let me give you another statement. Peace is not found in the answer of our prayer, but from the hearer of our prayer. She walked away with peace because of the presence of God that she received in the prayer. She has no promise that her prayer is going to be answered. But the peace comes in the person of Jesus. Well, let's keep reading the rest of the story, all right? As Paul Harvey would say. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. He blessed her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him in that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Hey, you finally got it right. Uh, only let the Lord establish his word. But He kind of throws this last minute, but make sure you keep your commitment. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had William, him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. and the child was young, they slaughtered a bull and brought it to the child, the child to Eli. She said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord am the woman who stood by you praying to the Lord. You know the one you called drunk. I think she probably actually said that. She's not in here. <laughs> For this child I prayed, and the Lord had granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And she would go on to have, as we read in Scripture, three more sons and, and also two daughters. What's the, the third lesson today? God answers dangerous prayers when they align with His plan and His purpose. Now, we don't read this in this text. But if you go to 1st, and we don't have time to turn there, but in 1st Chronicles chapter number 6, what we realize is that Elkanah, Samuel's dad, he's of the direct line of the Levites. And the Levites were be to be the priest. Remember we said Hophni and Phinehas? It mentions their names here. Or Phinehas and Ferb, that's what I usually say. But Hophni and Phinehas here... What we read about Hophni and Phinehas later that we don't know in this time timeline here is that they're not good. God is going to judge Eli and the two sons, and they're they're going to die because they are not going to be priests because they do everything the wrong way. Because Eli's sons are going to be judged and they're going to die, God needs a priest and a prophet. Who's going to be that priest and that prophet? Samuel. And I wonder if Hannah, after years and years of praying, and we enter the story here, she realizes God has a purpose for my kid. And maybe she finally surrendered to God's plan. God, if you'll give me a son... I'll give them back to you. We made this statement a few weeks ago. When we pray dangerous prayers and walk in obedience, we realize God is always ahead of us. And boy, since we've made that statement, it keeps coming up in my head all the time. And it applies right here in the story of Anna. Little did she know that the two boys, Hophni and Phineas, that she saw every year, year by year, who were supposed to be priests, would not become priests, but her son would be the priest. One last statement. If our prayers align with God's purpose and plan, maybe they aren't that dangerous after all. It may be scary. You know there's a difference between being scared and, being, and, and doing something dangerous, right? The, the goal here this morning is this. That as you pray dangerous prayers, as you enter in the presence of God through prayer, God is going to reveal a next step. When you take that next step of obedience, you're going to realize God was already ahead of you. It's not that dangerous after all. So it comes down really to one word. The word is surrender. Will you live your life completely surrendered to God? I want to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment this morning. And this morning, I want you just to to think for a moment is there an area in your life that you haven't completely surrendered to God? Is there an area in your life that you are looking for peace and prosperity and provision and all those things through circumstances? And you, you just need today to say, God, I surrender to you. I trust you. I submit to your plan and your will. I don't, I, maybe I don't even know your plan. I don't even know your purpose. But God, I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm submitting that we can learn from the life of Hannah that prayer is the pathway to peace And then we pray in alignment with God's plan and purpose for our life. He'll answer our prayers. God, I come before you today and I pray in my own life, Lord, that you would reveal in my life the areas in my life where I'm not surrendered. Lord, where I've taken control back. Lord, I pray for that for everyone in this room. Lord, that that in this moment today, as we hear from you, we would respond and say, God, yeah, I I surrender to you. As the scriptures teach us, Lord, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so, Lord, we surrender. As our eyes are closed, I I wanna just ask for a moment, is is there something right now, you, you would like me to pray for you about God, John, there's, there's some things in my life I think God wants me to, to surrender. Would you pray for me? Just put your hand up right now, just where you're at. Just put your hand up. Quite a few of us, just put your hand up just all over. A lot of us, you can put your hands down. I, I want to encourage you, just take the step of faith. Surrender to God. When we pray dangerous prayers and we walk in obedience, we always realize God is ahead of us. I want to ask you this morning, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me this morning? And I start the service every week like this, but I want, to, I want to kind of close out the service by saying this for you today. God is good. And all the time. We're going to sing about the goodness of God this morning. It's just time to celebrate, to worship. Of course, if you want to come forward and pray, maybe you raise your hand and say, God, I need to surrender. You're, you're always welcome to come and pray, but let's just worship as a church family today the goodness of God.